Today, we're going to cover a story about the Jameson family. Now, if you haven't heard this story, it's really intriguing. So what happens is there is a family out of Oklahoma, Eufaula, Oklahoma, and the family is dad, Bobby, mom, Sherilyn, and their daughter, six-year-old Madison. Now, they live in Eufaula, Oklahoma, but they want to move to a more secluded spot, someplace in the mountains. So they contact or get contacted by this private seller who gives them these GPS coordinates and says, hey, come and look at this plot of land, and this is what I have for sale. So in October of 2009, what they do is they pack up their truck and their whole family, and they go out to this location. And they're driving, it's very, very remote. And they're driving out to this location, supposedly to look at this plot of land. And nobody ever hears from them again. A search ensued. And there were multiple law enforcement agencies. uh, Local folks were out there. They were on horseback. They were everywhere that they could to try and find out where this family was. This is the story of the disturbing disappearance of the Jameson family. And you're listening to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. So as I stated in the beginning, this is in 2009. And the Jameson family, who consists of Bobby, who is 44, his wife, Sherilyn, who is 40, and Madison, who is 6, They all lived in this lakeside home in Eufaula, Oklahoma. They had met one another in 2002, and in 2003, they had Madison. Now, that same year, Bobby had actually been in a pretty severe car accident. Now, it was so bad that his injuries would make it impossible to work due to his chronic back pain. He couldn't get out of bed, and he had to rely on disability to get by. So in the summer of 2004, Bobby and Sherilyn get married. And Sherilyn, though, I should note, wasn't without her own struggles. She suffered from bipolar disorder, and although it had been pretty well managed with prescription medication, she didn't take it on a regular basis. Then in 2009... Things just went from bad to worse. 2009 was a horrible year for this poor family. In May of 2009, Bobby ended up filing a lawsuit against his parents, Bob Sr. and his mother, Starlet. Bobby said that his father had told him that if he had worked for free at the Oklahoma gas station that his father owned, Bobby was then promised half of the business in the future. So later what happened is his dad sold the gas station and never gave Bobby any money from the sale. Now Bobby felt that he was due at least $10,000. So this was one of the lawsuits. This wasn't the only official document though that Bobby would file against his parents. The additional document was actually a protective order specifically a protective order against his dad. In this document, Bobby states that his dad had threatened to kill him and his family 
and he didn't do this just once, but on at least two separate occasions. Now, Bobby claims that his dad is a, quote, very dangerous man who thinks he is above the law. He also claimed that his dad, who was actually 67 at the time, was involved with, quote, prostitutes, gangs, and meth. So the younger Bobby and his wife, so Bobby and Sherilyn, their finances hit this breaking point. And with this stress over not only Bobby's inability to work, Sherilyn's bipolar disorder, and now, you know, these threats from family members had just been too much. So they needed to start over and they began to look at locations well away from society in general. Now on their land there at the lakeside home in Eufaula was a very large red storage container. And the plan was, was that as soon as the family had found this new plot of land and purchased this new plot of land, the plan was to live in this storage container until they could have their new place built. Now, you might be picturing a simple, dull red storage container, something that you would see like on those big ships, you know, coming in to, that have storage just sitting in a driveway and you would be right except for a few strange things about this container now spray painted on this container were phrases and symbols and some of the phrases were very religious in nature some were just very odd for instance one of them said three cats killed to date by people in this area. And another one said, witches don't like their black cat killed. Yeah, a little bizarre, right? It also made me wonder about the storage container itself. Was this just an empty container? Had they been working on it, fixing it up so that it would be livable? Now, I can't imagine it would have just been a plain empty container, would it? Anyway, their plan was to buy a 40-acre plot of land in the Sands Bois Mountains, I hope I said that right, near Red Oak, Oklahoma. And this was about 40 miles or so from their current home. So, on October 8th of 2009, the Jameson family started packing up a few things into their truck, and they headed out to look at this location where their future home might be. They headed into Latimer County and into the mountains. And this is the last time anyone would see the family alive again. Now, even though the family had left their home to look for this plot of land, it wasn't until several days later that neighbors even began to think that something might be wrong. It wasn't strange that the family would take off for long periods of time, but to not see them over a week, this did seem a little bit different. However, it was also learned that the local school where Madison attended had been informed that the family was moving, and so they took their daughter out of school. It was also later learned that the Jamesons, whether this is related or not, had also filed a lawsuit against the school that Madison had attended. But it's unclear why. 
So the fact that the Jameson family was gone wasn't strange. And when it did start to feel a little alarming, people learned that Madison had been taken out of school. You know, it just really wasn't as concerning. So days later, the Jameson's white pickup truck was found on some land near Red Oak, Oklahoma. It was actually a hunter who had come across the truck. So, and it's empty, nobody's in the truck, but inside this truck was Sherilyn's purse, Bobby's wallet, a cell phone, there were coats for the family, there was a bag containing $32,000 in cash. Yes, $32,000. They also found a journal that Sherilyn had been writing in for some time. And if this wasn't enough, the family dog, Maisie, was still inside the truck as well. Now, Maisie was alive, but very dehydrated and malnourished. So the police take a look at the cell phone that was still left in the truck. And what they found on that cell phone was apparently the very last picture taken of Madison. And according to Sherilyn's best friend, who knows Madison very well, she said that Madison looked terrified. It appeared as though the family had gotten out of the truck for some reason and fully intended on coming back to the vehicle. Now, police, along with several volunteers, began to search for the family. Six dog teams joined the, the, in the search, but nothing was ever found. As the days went on, other searchers headed to the mountain area to search for the family while helicopters and even an unmanned drone flew overhead. So they're all looking for the family, and while this is happening, investigators were talking with friends and family members trying to get an idea as to why their truck was found where it was and to learn a little bit more about the family. What the authorities did end up finding out was concerning and a little bit terrifying. First, the police said that, quote, Normally, you can go through an investigation and one by one start to eliminate certain scenarios. We haven't been able to do that in this case. With this family, everything seems possible. A lot of investigators would love to have as many leads as we do. The problem is, is that they all point in so many different directions. Now, before the family disappeared, they did have a handyman living with them. Now, Sherilyn would often talk about her Native American heritage, and it was said that this man made Sherilyn very nervous. According to Sherilyn's best friend, this man came and sat right down next to her and said to her, quote, you know, I'm a white supremacist, and said something along the lines that people like you should die or I should kill you, or something like that, because you are not pure. Now, one story is that this man, this handyman, after learning about Sherilyn's heritage, wasn't shy in throwing insults her way, and she wanted him to leave. And when he refused, 
Sherilyn then grabbed her gun and shot at the ground next to him, forcing him off the property. However, another story from a news article was that Sherry had actually stuck the barrel of her gun in his ear, and then he was asked to leave at gunpoint. And you might think, well, hey, here's a motive, right? Well, yeah, so did the FBI. But he was cleared. Something the police also learned from the Jameson's neighbors, which may have been a bit concerning, was that Sherilyn considered herself a witch and that she would threaten people that she was going to put a spell on them. Now, a friend of Sherilyn's, it was claimed, was a witch, and she said that several of the Jameson's cats had been poisoned by the neighbors. So that would maybe kind of help explain what was spray-painted on the container out in their front yard, right? Now, this friend would also say that Sherilyn was interested in witches, and they had together, years before, purchased witches' Bibles and put them on their coffee tables as a bit of a joke. And this is what the police evidently found. Another interesting thing also happened when the family's pastor spoke with the police. This pastor told them that the family had been involved in what he called spiritual warfare. Now, Sherilyn had written the pastor a note that the family had been under a lot of oppression. Now, this is also when it came out that Sherry had said that she could speak to the dead and that her daughter had this same power. Bobby also was in on speaking with this pastor because he told the pastor that he often saw two to four different spirits or ghosts on the roof of their home in Eufaula, and he typically saw them between 2 and 4 o'clock in the morning. And his big question to the pastor, though, was he wondered if the pastor had access to any quote-unquote special bullets that he could use so that he could shoot these spirits. He had actually been looking for high-powered shells online. Now, the pastor also learned that Bobby had been reading the Satanic Bible for a natural remedy to get rid of these spirits, which actually makes zero sense. The last time Bobby said that he saw these spirits were on October 2nd and 3rd. Now, these were, this was just days before the family left their home. Now, Sherilyn's friend, she also had information about this. She did claim that, yes, their house was haunted. Whenever she went there, she felt something terrible, and she would end up leaving feeling very down and depressed. At one time, she was in the living room of the Jameson home, and she saw a gray mist descend down the stairs, which terrified her. Another time, she said that Bobby, who she described as being very gentle, would come at her suddenly and his eyes appeared dead and black, quote, as if possessed. Sherilyn even left notes around the house saying, get out, Satan. If this wasn't enough, it was also said 
that six-year-old Madison evidently had a habit of talking to one of these spirits on a regular basis. So, we've now got a family who has pulled their child from school. Sherilyn claimed to be a witch. Bobby was on disability and was suing his dad for money. Bobby had also taken out a restraining order on his father, and the family truck was found abandoned in the mountains with important things that you would think you would need. Coats, cell phones, etc. Not to mention the dog was left in the truck. And then now we've also got this pastor saying, hey, there was something going on inside this house. But so remember, though, in that truck, there was a journal that was located that had been written by Sherilyn. So what did this journal say? Well, according to a documentary called Missing Jameson Family, it was essentially a hate letter to her husband. And this is what it said, or at least a portion of it. Quote, you are a very toxic person. You need to find happiness. You contaminate everything you're around. It breaks my heart. It saddens my soul that you have turned into the monster that you are. I would not wish my daughter to be raised in foster care because of you being in prison for attempted murder and her mother dead. So this kind of makes you think that, well, what Sherilyn's friend said about, hey, here's Bobby, who's normally just very calm, a very sweet person, all of a sudden turning into this person that she didn't know. Kind of makes you wonder if maybe Sherilyn started to see perhaps the same thing. Now, when the police go to the actual home and the home was searched, another journal was found. And this appeared to be a journal that Sherilyn was giving to her husband. In this journal, just underneath the area that says this journal belongs to, I know we've all seen that, this journal belongs to, Sherilyn wrote, quote, Bobby Jameson, a genius, a man with special gifts, a loving and tender soul. With all my love and soul, always and forever, Sherilyn, and then she signed it, I believe it's hippie chick. It's spelled C-H-I-C. So it's either hippie chic or hippie chick. Now, this happened to be written three days before the family went missing. It also turned out that while the family had gone up into the mountains and driven up to this area, they actually met a man while they were up in the mountains. And he also spoke to the police. He happened to own a property nearby and happened to cross the family. He was interviewed, and he said that he had spoken to Bobby that day. He said, quote, he was upbeat and friendly, meaning Bobby. We talked a long time, as I do with many folks. Most often I meet people, but he mainly wanted my GPS numbers so he could go find the land. He said he had a BlackBerry phone with GPS on and they were adventuresome and wanted to check it out themselves. Unusual, as I generally meet the people first, but it was a private person selling the property and he did not want to trouble me. And as if this wasn't enough, the authorities ended up gathering footage from the Jameson's security camera outside their home 
and they watched the footage from the night that they're getting ready to leave. Now, the investigators saw Sherilyn place a brown leather briefcase inside the pickup. Now, after the pickup was found out in the mountains, this briefcase was never located. There's more about this security footage, though. The police noticed that the Jamesons were moving around in what the sheriff at the time said were, quote, trance-like motions. Quote, on the video, sometimes they would just stop and stare. It was strange. According to officials, it took the two, uh, both Bobby and Sherilyn, a substantial amount of time to load up the vehicle. Now, not only that, they would take stuff out to the truck and then bring it back in. And they changed clothes several times and never once appeared to speak to one another. And before they left, it was said that they had both lost a substantial amount of weight. So, and I know you're thinking the same thing that I am because I constantly thought about this. If Bobby's back was so bad, how could he possibly have done this carrying stuff back and forth, back and forth, back and forth? And then when they get up into the mountains, he's obviously getting out of the truck and walking somewhere. So maybe his back wasn't nearly as bad as he was making it out to be. But then Sherilyn's mom began to wonder about a certain comment that evidently Bobby had made the summer before they went missing. She said, quote, they were having financial trouble and Bobby had told Sherilyn, I know where I can get the money, but I won't involve you. Now, at that time, Sherilyn's mom was living with the Jamesons and she said that Sherilyn was a very strong-willed person, but she saw her change dramatically. According to her mom, she became very illogical. And one day, she said she drove me to Oklahoma City and dropped me off in the street. She told me to get out of my car. So I did. Now, this could be the fact, too, that Sherilyn, she's suffering from bipolar disorder and is known not to take her medication. So maybe this was just, you know, the fact that she wasn't taking her medication. Also within the home, there was supposed to be a 22 caliber pistol that was registered to Sherilyn, and this would have been the same one that was used with the handyman. And this was never found. Now, for years, for years, people just assumed that the whole entire Jameson family, they just didn't want to be found. They just took off and went and lived someplace else, but they could never be located. Where did they go? Now, this question would not be answered until four years later. A hunter in the mountains discovered three skulls on the ground. They all appeared to be lined up right next to one another, and they were all face down. Now, however, because it had been so long, the bones had been scattered by animals and such. Nearby, however, there were found pieces of clothing, shoes, and 
human teeth. Now, what's crazy about this is that their remains were located just, (laughs) you're not going to believe this, 2.7 miles from where their truck had first been located. And it wasn't far from the road that they were on. So when the police were asked why the bodies hadn't been found sooner, they said that, quote, fallen leaves potentially obscured the bodies when the area was searched in 2009. Now, because it had been so long and it was apparent that animals had gotten to the remains, they, they being the authorities and the police, couldn't make a true determination of how the three had died. But honestly, based on the fact that they were all found face down and next to one another, wouldn't that indicate that it was on purpose? At least that's my thought. So the police, they had all this information from the investigators, uh, the information about the, the land that the family was looking to purchase, the storage container in their driveway, the information from the pastor about the family being haunted and Bobby's dad. All of this led to various speculations. And one of them was that it was just flat-out murder, either for robbery, revenge, a bad drug deal, or a professional hit. But again, if it was for robbery, why leave the $32,000 in the car? Also, in regards to drugs, no drugs were ever located either in the vehicle or in the Jameson home. The police then speculated that the Jamesons might have died from hypothermia, but the way that they were found totally disputes that. Plus, if they were cold and lost, you would think that they would have turned to one another for some extra body heat, or that one of the adults would head out looking for help while the others tried to stay warm. So this just sounds like a shot in the dark for the police. Sherilyn's mom then had pointed out to the police that the family, the Jameson family, had a connection to satanic cults. And she apparently had told investigators that the family had somehow found themselves on a hit list for this cult. Yes, really, a hit list a cult. The family, though, was thought to be incredibly religious. Now, even the container on the property had religious sayings. So I don't know what to make of this information. Was her mom just throwing out ideas or did she really know this about her daughter? However, Sherilyn's best friend said that she was contacted by an anonymous woman who said that Sherilyn had been involved with a cult called the United White Knights and that they had vowed to kill her. This anonymous person had spoke about an abandoned white vehicle near the Jameson house, which there was one, which the Jamesons had evidently used for shooting practice. And on this vehicle were found various satanic messages. And evidently, Sherilyn had written messages over these 
and her messages were, were things like God loves you and peace. So remember, too, that Bobby had consulted, quote unquote, a satanic Bible. He wanted to use this to look for ways to get rid of the spirits in his home. Now, there's no mention of them having brought the pastor inside the home to see what he could do, just that he was consulted about these special bullets. And why then? Why turn to a satanic Bible? Why not turn to any other Bible? That just seems weird to me. Now, investigators did look into this claim about the Jamesons being involved in some kind of satanic cult, but nothing came of it. They couldn't find any connection or anything having to do with this claim that was made. So let's consider the other things that are hanging out there. Probably the most notable is the protective order that Bobby had against his dad, right? He claimed his dad was involved with prostitutes, with gangs, and with meth. In one of these documents, these official documents, Bobby had actually even claimed that his dad had hit him with his vehicle. It should also be noted that Bobby's dad was never really considered a suspect because at the time he had been sick and in the hospital. Now, this doesn't mean that, you know, if we really put this out there, that maybe he couldn't have put out a hit on the family though, right? But honestly, this seems a little far-fetched. And we also later learn that Bobby's father in his will had left everything to his granddaughter, Madison. So why in the world would he do that if he was giving Madison everything in his will? The judge also, when this protective order was filed and he was reading through it, he didn't feel that there was much merit to these orders and he ended up dismissing them. And uh, we do know that Bobby's father did in fact pass away in December of 2009. He was never, ever considered a suspect. Now, the Latimer County Sheriff's Office, and Latimer County is where the property was that they were looking at, they would claim that the Jamesons were known scammers, pointing out that in 2005, when Bobby had his accident, the Jamesons then sued three people over this incident. Now, not sure why that makes them scammers, but somehow the sheriff's office felt that that was true. So anyway, let's go back. Let's remember that surveillance footage outside of the home just before they left to go to the mountains. Evidently, it was claimed that just before they left, it appeared as though Sherilyn and Bobby had lost quite a bit of weight. The investigators also made mention of the family seeming to walk around and pack up the truck in a quote-unquote trance-like state. So they thought that because of A, the weight loss, B, the claims of Bobby's father being involved in meth, etc., and C, the fact that they had a lot of cash inside the vehicle, that this was some kind of drug deal. The investigators said that they took, they being the Jamesons, took about 20 trips back and forth to the house during this time that they're watching this footage, and they would often stop and stare at nothing for several moments before then getting back to work. 
So the police just kept coming back to the family being involved with drugs and a drug deal gone bad. They further believed that the Jameson family were involved in the making and the distribution of meth And the reason they wanted to move was because they were looking for a place more out of the way to create their lab. But there were no drugs found in the truck. There were no drugs found in the house. So where are they getting this information? Are they just assuming? Maybe. But they were going to look at land, right? It was a purchase they were considering by a private owner of the land Maybe they took the cash to make a deposit or to pay for all of it. The brown bag was missing, right? It was assumed maybe it was assumed that that may have had cash in it. So what if they met up with the person that they were doing the deal with? They were robbed and then killed. Then again, why was the $32,000 left in the truck? The dog was in the truck. Maybe the dog scared them off. Maybe they got to the truck, uh, maybe, remember, it was about three miles away, and realized that, oh, hey, we don't have the keys to get inside, but, you know, if somebody's robbing you, why would that matter? You would probably just break in anyway. Maybe they didn't know that there was cash still in the truck, and they just assumed that the cash that they had on them was all that they had. Then... We have the theory of the letter that was found in the truck, the one written by Sherilyn, which essentially talked about how she hated her husband. There was also that missing 22 caliber gun from the home. So was it a murder-suicide? Now, this kind of makes sense until you realize that all three bodies had appeared to be laying side by side and no gun was found at the scene. Now, is it likely an animal could have taken off with the gun itself? Maybe, but doubtful. Plus, the only evidence that was found was actually on Bobby, who did have a very small hole in his head. Now, no other such hole was found in either Sherilyn or Madison. At first, the police thought it was from a bullet, but they later dropped this idea, and it's not known why. Then there's another theory of yet another hit list. I kid you not. Not by a cult, but by a white supremacist group. Now, evidently, in a documentary on investigation discovery about the case, some kind of informant said that she once belonged to a white supremacist group and claimed to have seen a book that contained a hit list of people who members of this group had a problem with. Now, this person had said that she had memorized some of these names, and one of the names was the Jamesons. So, yeah, maybe. But then this person also goes on to say that while listening to some members of this hate group, she recalled them talking about the Jamesons after they had disappeared. And one of these things that they were talking about was this unique insignia that was on Bobby's wedding ring. Now, this is a detail that not many people were aware of or even knew about. Considering all of this, remember that Bobby had this quote-unquote back pain from a car accident. Would he have been able to walk almost three miles? 
You know, he was on security camera at home seen carrying items back and forth to the truck. So if he could do that, who's to say he couldn't walk three miles? And if you really want to get into stuff that just might really be out there, uh, there's also another theory. And this theory is called the 35th degree latitude theory. Now, this theory suggests that the 35 parallel north latitude is significant when it comes to mysterious things happening. Things like paranormal events, significant historical activities, and geological occurrences. Now, paranormal-wise, the 35th parallel is considered a hotspot for not only paranormal activity, but UFO sightings, uh, cryptid sightings, think Bigfoot, etc. Historically, this area is also known to have held a lot of battles, such as parts of the American Civil War, the Indian Wars, especially the Navajo Long Walk, and the conflict between various Native American tribes and settlers throughout Texas. It's also known for earthquakes and natural disasters like volcanic activity and tornadoes. To put this in a more recent frame of mine, so evidently along this 35th parallel was the case of Andrea Yates, who I'm sure you remember, murdered all five of her children by drowning them in a bathtub. And also along this 35th parallel, was where Timothy McVeigh carried out the bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. Now, the Jamesons? How does this fit in with them? Well, they disappeared along this same 35th parallel. Now, as a matter of fact, the coordinates of the property they were looking at contained this 35-degree north parallel in the GPS. But the thing is, this doesn't really point the fingers at any single person, though. It's an interesting thought, but people just don't simply show up at the 35th parallel and drop dead, right? <laughs> Somebody had to be involved. The bottom line is that, to date, no one has been arrested for this crime. And these theories continue to run wild. And until more is done on the case... No one will know the true answer as to what happened to the Jameson family, and it has become one of the most strange and mysterious cases to date. So I would be curious to know, what are your thoughts or theories on the case? What do you think really happened? Do you think it was a person who was responsible or something more sinister? If you'd like to chime in on this, head to my YouTube channel where I am most likely to see your comments and respond. I'll be sure to have the link in the show notes for you. And that is the story of the Jameson family. We know that they headed out to look for some new property. We know that they drove out there as a family. Something or someone had them get out of their truck and they felt comfortable enough to just leave their dog in the truck and even though tons of law enforcement they had drones they had helicopters they had everything going they had dogs 
nobody could find them. And they were only three miles away from their truck. I can't help but think that maybe something really terrible, I mean, obviously something very terrible happened to them, but I can't help but think that maybe they were kidnapped, taken to a different location, killed, and then put in that area. I think that would probably make the most sense, wouldn't it? As to why all of these people that were searching for them shortly after they left or shortly after they were discovered missing and their truck was found, why nobody found them. But then again, it's the mountains and it's not unusual. I mean, there's other stories where child, children have gone missing in the wilderness and they were literally just feet away from where they had gone missing. So who knows? But again, I am really curious. I just wonder if you have any theories. So if you do, please head to my YouTube channel. And I want to thank you, thank you, thank you all for listening. You are truly appreciated. And I promise we will talk very, very soon. Thank you so much.